0: This morning we are continuing our journey through Acts after taking a break last week to look at the book of Galatians. So I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 41. And I have uh, been really looking forward to this passage, even though it's kind of a sad one. It's a little bit sad and there's conflict in this, uh, in this passage, who here has ever had an argument with someone that you regretted? Raise your hand if you've ever had an argument with somebody that you regretted. Alright, well this week we're going to look at an argument that the Apostle Paul had that I think he deeply regretted. One of the most encouraging things to me, and I'm sure I've said this before here at Parker Ford Church, one of the most beautiful and encouraging things to me about the Bible. And one of the reasons why um, I have so much trust and faith in it is because of how brutally honest the scriptures are about the people, even the heroes, that are in the stories. I mean, they don't pull any punches, about the blemishes and the shortcomings and the fallenness and the brokenness of the heroes of our faith. I mean, think about Moses. There are chapters, I mean literally chapters in Exodus, in Numbers, and in Deuteronomy that are dedicated to us knowing how much of a failure he was at times. And this this is like the father uh, of of the Jewish faith in many ways. Or Abraham, when he lied about his wife Sarah multiple times. Or David, when he forgot about human dignity and and forgot about the image of God and and, and totally mistreated Bathsheba and her husband. and, um, And Paul, who was a persecutor of the church and a murderer, and, um, and the Bible's just honest about these things. It's just honest about these people. And so we're going to look at one of those passages in Acts this morning where Luke, the writer of Acts, is very honest about, about Paul and about Barnabas and uh, maybe something that they, they struggled with. And so I hope this is actually encouraging, uh, encouraging to us. And it also, just as we start, if the Scripture is honest about these people, the great heroes of our faith, um, should we not also be honest and real about our own struggles and not try to hide them and present ourselves as something that we're not. Amen? All right, with that, let's turn to Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 41. I'm going to start the sermon by reading it, and then we're going to explore it from a few different angles. Acts chapter 15... Verse 36, this of course is coming right after the Jerusalem council where uh, they met to discuss circumcision and they were sent with the letter back to the churches, the Gentile churches saying that no, you do not have to be circumcised in order to follow Jesus. Verse 36, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. It's a good idea. They did this epic missionary journey. This is Paul's first journey that he accomplished with Barnabas, and they went from Antioch, uh, their sending church, down to Cyprus, the island of Cyprus. That's where Barnabas was from. They traveled across Cyprus, then they went up into Asia Minor, and they traveled all over southern Galatia in the churches of Asia Minor, and then they returned back. To Antioch, And then uh, after that was the Jerusalem council. And then they were back in Antioch again. So some time has passed. And Paul says, we should go back and check on these churches and see how they're doing. Good idea. Verse 37. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. John Mark. This is uh, Mark who's somehow related to Peter. We're not exactly sure how. He's also related to Barnabas. He is the gospel writer of Mark. And he had at first accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their journey. But Paul, verse 38, thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. You remember what happened at the beginning of their first missionary journey. John Mark had gone with them, Paul and Barnabas, to be their assistant. But when they had traveled through Cyprus and when they had come to Asia Minor, it says that John Mark had gotten homesick. Anybody ever traveled and gotten homesick? Yes, I have. I know what that feels like. He got homesick. He missed his family. He uh, He missed the church in Jerusalem. And so, at that point, it says that he left them and he went back to Jerusalem. And so, when Barnabas says, we should take John Mark with us, verse 38, but Paul thought best not to take John Mark verse 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But but Paul chose Silas and departed having been commended by those to the grace of the Lord and he went through Syria and Sicilia strengthening the churches. In many ways to me, verse 39 is one of the saddest verses in the bible it just breaks my heart when i read this verse and there arose a sharp disagreement angry at one another bitterness is implied here a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other this is batman and robin paul and barnabas this is this is john lennon and paul mccartney this is i mean this, this is like the dynamic duo of, of the early church that God had accomplished so much with. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And with that, Barnabas and Mark sail right out of the story of Acts. Not to be heard from again in the book of Acts. We do hear about them later in the epistles, but I'm skipping ahead there. Verse 40, but Paul... He chooses Silas. Silas, if you remember, was one of the men who had been sent from the church of Jerusalem to carry the letter from the church in Jerusalem about circumcision not being required. So Paul chooses this man Silas. Silas was also a Roman citizen, uh, just like Paul was, which which will come in handy later in the story. So Paul chooses Silas now that he's lost his main man, Barnabas, and departs having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So Paul goes back up into Asia Minor, where they were, and Barnabas goes back to Cyprus, which, of course, if you remember, was his hometown. That's where Barnabas had grown up, on the island of Cyprus. All right, anybody here ever done a relational timeline? You know what I'm talking about, a relational timeline? A relational timeline is a counseling tool that a lot of counselors use. Um, and so it's, it's one of those tools that's actually genuinely really, really helpful. Um, and what you do is you create a timeline, just like a historical timeline. So it's, it's a horizontal line, and you create dashes, uh, vertical dashes in it. And um, in the relational timeline, you write down significant events that have happened in your relationship. And so it's a way to work through relationships that are dysfunctional or relationships where, you're having, where you've gotten stuck or relationships where uh, things have been difficult. This is a tool I've used in my own life. Uh, and it can be helpful in marriages or in parenting or in friendships or whatever. Where you create a timeline and you say, I, you know, this is where we met. This is where we got married. Uh, this was a point of tension for us where we really struggled with finances. Uh, and so on and so forth. So what I did for us this morning was I created a relational timeline for Paul and Barnabas. Sound Good. All right, so we're going to go over the highlights of their relationship and how in the world did we get to this point. So here's the relational timeline, uh, the highlights from their relationship. First, Barnabas joins the Jerusalem church. You may remember this. It says, I think it's Acts chapter 5 when Barnabas uh, joined the church. It says that he sold all of his property and gave all of his money to the church to do with uh, whatever they wanted to do. And then... Uh, ...we find out that Barnabas isn't actually his real name. His real name is Joseph, I believe... ...but they called him Barnabas because he is the son of encouragement. He's such an encouraging person that they rename him... ...they give him the nickname Barnabas... ...and that's what Luke calls him, the rest of Acts. Barnabas, the encourager. So Barnabas, the encourager, joins the Jerusalem church from Cyprus. Secondly, Paul becomes a Christian when he was persecuting the church... ...and then Jesus appeared to him in his resurrected state... And Paul became a Christian. Then, this is where Barnabas and Paul come together for the first time. The church was scared of Paul, and rightfully so, because he had been killing them. And so they didn't trust him when he came back to Jerusalem and all of a sudden he's like, I'm on your side. And they were like, it's a trap. I hope you know that reference. It's a trap. But, Barnabas, full of courage, bravely vouches for Paul when no one else would, and he he vouches for him to the apostles. He goes and says, no, this is legitimate. Paul actually came to Christ, and so he gives the official introduction to the the apostolic leaders in Jerusalem. Fourthly, Paul is a troublemaker because he begins preaching about Jesus and really making people angry in Jerusalem, which causes persecution to be heightened. So the apostles uh, discreetly take him on a boat, and pack his suitcase for him and send him back to his hometown in Tarsus, which I just think is so funny. They don't know what to do with him, so they put him on a ship and send him back to Tarsus, uh, where Paul is for about roughly 10 years. About 10 years later, Barnabas is sent to Antioch by the apostles. So something crazy is going, in, an, going on in Antioch. All of these Gentiles are coming to Christ, and so the, the apostles say to Barnabas, can you go check it out and make sure that this is legitimate Uh, movement what's happening so Barnabas went up to the church in Antioch and when he got there he saw wow these people these Gentiles are coming to Christ and being filled with the Holy Spirit and he begins to work and teach in the church of Antioch and then he realizes he's in over his head he needs help so he thinks to himself who could I work with who could be a support to me in this ministry and the Holy Spirit puts Paul on his mind and so Barnabas actually goes all the way to Tarsus And he meets with Paul in person and he says, come help me, Paul. I need your help in the church of Antioch. And so he brings him back down to Antioch where they serve together for about a year. Seventh, the Holy Spirit then commissions Paul and Barnabas to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And this is where the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have called them. Eighth, they begin their missionary journey, their first journey with John, Mark, ...as their assistant. And it's interesting, if you're reading, if you're following closely in Acts... ...up until this point, every time Barnabas and Paul are mentioned together... ...Barnabas' name is mentioned first. And what that means is that he was the the leader. So up until this time, up until the first missionary journey... ...Barnabas was actually the one who was kind of seat one... ...was the one who was driving, the one who was leading this, this relationship. And then when they were on Cyprus, it switches... And then from that point on, Luke lists Paul first. And like he really, Paul really only came into his own, became like fully the Apostle Paul when, when he was on their first missionary journey. All right, ninth, John Mark abandons them and returns to Jerusalem, which obviously left a bitter mark on Paul. Tenth, Paul and Barnabas complete their missionary journey throughout Galatia and return to Antioch. Then Peter visits the church in Antioch, and this is Galatians chapter 2, which we covered last week, um, as well as Jewish Christians, and these Jewish Christians claimed to represent the Apostle James. They began to teach that Gentiles must be circumcised to be saved, which led Peter and Barnabas both astray um, by this teaching. So, Peter and Barnabas at this point removed themselves from fellowship with the Gentiles and began to eat in fellowship only with the Jewish uh, circumcision party. Paul is deeply troubled by this. 14th, he confronts Peter to his face, as he says in Galatians chapter 2, and presumably he confronted Barnabas as well. Because this is where he says, even Barnabas was led astray. Then uh, Paul and Barnabas were sent by the church in Antioch back down to Jerusalem to inquire of the apostles. Um, So they go back down. This is what we covered in the beginning of Acts 15 last week to figure out uh, what are they going to decide about circumcision. The apostles, including both Peter and James, agree that circumcision is not a requirement for salvation. Then Paul and Barnabas travel back to Antioch with a letter from the apostles, along with Silas and one other brother, written to clarify this misunderstanding. 18th, after some time, Paul suggests that they revisit the young church plants to encourage and strengthen them. And then Barnabas desires to give John Mark a second chance. So a lot's happened, right? That's a whole bunch of stuff that's happened in their relationship. And if you've been through that kind of thing together, that's like, that's moving beyond friendship into sort of like sibling territory, (laughs) right, where you kind of know what the other person is thinking, you know what they're feeling, you've been through all sorts of situations together, and you also get annoyed by things that you used to look over (laughs) and maybe didn't care about as much at the beginning of your relationship, Um, And and there's a comfort and a nearness and a closeness with one another. But there's also all of this pressure and all of these things they've experienced have caused this bifurcation, this crack to begin to grow in the foundation of their relationship. And we're going to see the thing kind of crack apart and fall apart. So with that, um, let's go back to the passage in Acts 15. So with all of those things in mind, all that they've been through, all that they've walked through, let's look at these verses again. Acts 15, it says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit to the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. And Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. Now this is totally in keeping with what we know about Barnabas. Because what kind of man is Barnabas? He's an encourager. He's an encourager. He wants to give John Mark, who we find out later in the epistles is his nephew, he wants to give him another chance. He learned from his lesson, Paul. It's okay. God taught him. He can come with us. God will use him again. But Paul, and this is in keeping with what we know about Paul, Paul's a little bit stubborn. And maybe a little bit prideful as well. But Paul, he thought it was best not to take with them one who had withdrawn. I'm not going to take him with us. He, he left us behind before. He didn't fulfill what he was called to do. God had clearly spoken what we were supposed to do. And he gave up and turned around. And I'm not going to go through that again. And there arose this sharp disagreement. And they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed. Having been committed by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. All right, so here are a few reflections um, on, on this passage, a few, a few reflections that I was thinking about. All right, I think, I hope we can all agree with this that, firstly, the first reflection this situation could have been handled better by, by all parties, right? You see that? This could have been handled uh, better. It's highly likely that both Barnabas and Paul experienced deep regret and grief over this situation in the days and years to come. I think that this thing ate at Paul. I mean, I think it gnawed at him in his heart, in his mind. One of those situ- You ever have those situations? Be honest. You ever have those situations where you just can't stop thinking about it day after day? Like one of those conflicts... One of those difficult situations. And even when you're like, okay, I'm not going to think about it. The next thing you know, 30 minutes later, you're laying in bed. And there it is. You're playing through the situation for the 10,000th time through your mind. Like going over everything. We've all had that. We've all had that. This is one of those situations for Paul. I was, um, (laughs) this is like how my mind works. I was thinking about... um, Famous pop cultural breakups. <laughs> and, uh, and I was thinking about, like, what is, like, culturally speaking, what's, like, a, like, just culturally? Like, what's a devastating breakup that's happened in our culture? And I was thinking, like, probably, I mean, like, in the Western culture, like, a pop culture breakup that's been, like, like had ripple effects that has been steadied and talked about over and over again. Like, the breakup of the Beatles, right? Like, it's a famous breakup. Where, where their relationship deteriorated. They're, they're at the pinnacle of their success in the late 60s. I think they broke up in 69, 70. They're at the very zenith of, of their, their songwriting abilities. They have more cultural sway over the Western culture than anyone else on Earth, probably, at that point. And um, everything's going well for them. They're wealthy, they're, they're crazy hooked up, all, all this stuff, and yet in their relationship they're, they're falling apart. And I think it's interesting, if you ever have read any, uh, anything or listened to any interviews, especially by Paul McCartney and John Lennon later in years, they always talked about like when we were in this situation, we couldn't see a way forward. Like it was impossible to see a way together forward, but when we look back on it, there's regret. Like, I wish it wouldn't have gone that way. And that's what, like, I just had that feeling all week as I was studying this passage that this is kind of like that moment for Paul and Barnabas where, like, they're in the moment and the the intensity of the struggle, the intensity of the disagreement is so vivid and so visceral. And they both, they're putting the lines in the stand and they're saying, I'm not going to cross this, you got to cross it to be honest. And and it's just, like, visceral and strong. And yet, 10 years later, they kind of look back on it and they're like, why did I draw a line in the sand there? You know what I mean? Like, why why did I choose for that to be the thing that couldn't be crossed? And you can just feel the regret, especially in some of Paul's later writings, which we'll we'll touch on. So reflection number one, this situation could have been handled better by all parties. Reflection number two, where was the prayer? Where was the Holy Spirit? These are the two most Holy Spirit-filled men, right? Right? In the world, where was the prayer? How did their first missionary journey begin? It says that the teachers and the prophets of the church of Antioch were gathered together, feasting or fasting, the opposite of feasting, feasting on the Lord, fasting and praying, and while they're fasting and praying, focused on the presence and the Word of God, seeking His will, devoted to prayer, this constant theme in Acts. It says, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Paul for the work of the ministry. The beginning of their missionary work was initiated by the Holy Spirit during an intentional time of prayer and fasting among the prophets and elders of the church of Antioch. Where was the prayer? Why? And maybe they did. Maybe they did stop and pray. But I, I, I have a feeling like Luke would have said that. Right? Like Luke would have said they stopped and prayed and the Holy Spirit made it clear that they were to go separate ways. Which leads me to reflection number three. Paul and Barnabas, each leading missionary work, and thus doubling their efforts among the Gentiles, may have been the Holy Spirit's intention from the beginning. Both Barnabas and Paul were fully capable leaders in their own right. They made an incredibly effective team, but they also were each fully able to lead church planting movements um, in in their own right. Barnabas was the leader of the relationship at the beginning. He was fully capable. So maybe it was God's desire and will and plan from the very beginning for these two men to go separate ways and to lead church planting, missionary journey in separate places. It makes sense, right? From a strategy standpoint, that makes total sense. But Man, it could have gone better. Man, it could have gone better. I was thinking about this, how... um, I forget who I was talking to. I was talking about with one of you this week about this, about how like, you know, we, we use the phrase like sometimes you just got to go through it to learn that lesson. You know what I mean? Like sometimes <laughs> so, sometimes you got to get in a little credit card debt and feel the pinch to realize that's not how I want to live. Uh, so, sometimes like there, there's situations where you just got to struggle. Um, you have to go through something in order to learn like how to walk through it. And part of me is like, yeah, that's how it works. And then part of me is like, but that's not how God designed it to work. God didn't create you to have to learn things the hard way. That's not how God designed you. That's not how God designed me. Now, God is faithful. And even when we're not faithful, and even when we choose what's second best or third best rather than what's first best, God's still faithful to teach us lessons and grow us, but that's not actually how God designed life with him to be. He created us to learn things the easy way. That's how God made you. So if anyone's ever told you you're the type of person that just has to learn things the hard way, that's a lie. That's not true. And I think this is one of those situations where I think that If Paul and Barnabas and the teachers and prophets of the church would have gone back to that place of fasting and prayer, I think the Holy Spirit would have said, gentlemen, it's time for you to go different ways. This has been a beautiful thing. But my church, what's what's Jesus' last thing he says before he ascends? Go and make disciples of all nations. One person can't do that. Heck, we're 2,000 years into this thing and we haven't done that. There's thousands of unreached people groups in the world today. There are literally billions of people on earth today. Hear this. I know it's hard to believe, but let this sink in for a minute. There are like two billion people on earth who have never heard the name Jesus. Two billion. So it makes sense for Paul and Barnabas to go different directions. That makes total sense. But instead of it being out of joyful agreement, like, yes, this is what God's saying it comes out of, out of this broken breakdown of, of their relationship. And I think that's really sad. But I do think that God was faithful, and I do think that God taught both of them from this, and they learned. Re- reflection number four. They each learned from this painful situation, and they became better leaders for having gone through it. I think Paul was a much more tender, gentle, patient, and understanding person for having this major failure, which I believe he looked back on as a, as a major blemish and failure on his part. He was a better, better leader because of it. And man, there have been some doozies in my life and I'm a better leader for having gone through it, for God disciplining me and, and teaching me and humbling me because of those things which takes us to Paul's mature thought on how to handle these situations, which we find, I believe, in Colossians chapter 3. And when I say mature, what I mean is that Paul's, like, final, like, as he grew and walked with the Lord, when he would write, this is how you deal with conflict. This is, like, the maturity of what he came to. Colossians chapter 3. This is, like, This is what the Lord gave him, having walked through all of this stuff. Colossians was written about 10 years later after this. So a lot of things have taken place in the meantime. And uh, Colossians is one of the prison epistles. So it's written uh, from prison along with Philippians and Ephesians. And uh, so it's kind of got his mature... He can look back with that hindsight. Those, Those 10 years have passed. And he's a different, better leader... And he's had more experiences, he's more humble, he's more broken, more patient, and he can look back and he can talk about these things. In Colossians chapter 3, this is what Paul writes. And, and in light of this situation that we just looked at in Acts 15, let's look at Colossians 3 together, okay? So let's, let's read this in light of this, this conflict that Paul and Barnabas had. So in Colossians chapter 3, this is near the end of the, uh, the epistles, just four chapters. Paul writes, if, you, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. So if you're in Christ, seek the things of Christ. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. What should this remind you of? Verse, verse 3. We looked at it last week. What verse is this almost exactly like? What's that? I am crucified with Christ. Galatians 2. Remember this? The same exact thought from Galatians chapter 2, which we looked at last week. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So this is 10 years later. Paul writes, for you have died. I've been crucified with Christ. And your life is hidden with Christ, but it's Christ who lives in me. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So put to death these things, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which leads to idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Put away anger. Put away wrath. Put away malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, not circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is like an exact reproduction of Galatians. Everything that we saw in Galatians, he packs into this one chapter. The whole point of Galatians is, you are a new person in Christ. God has created a new nation. It's no longer based on the ethnic people of Israel. He's created a new ethnic people based on Jesus Christ. And in Galatians, he says, there's no male or female. There's no Jew or Gentile. There's no slave or free. But everyone's one in Jesus Christ. Then he says, this is the fruit of the flesh. And he lists these same things. And then he says, this is the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. He just walked through the exact same things in Colossians. But this is kind of the maturity of his thoughts coming. This was written after Galatians. So he's got all of these same thoughts. And now he's going to get to the positive side. Verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Think about his his argument with Barnabas and read this in the light of that. Put on then, as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Bearing with one another. What did not happen at the end of Acts 15? They did not bear with one another. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, his complaint against John Mark? Forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. I can just hear the Holy Spirit saying to Paul in the aftermath, Paul, how much have you been forgiven? Did I forgive you when you approved of Stephen being martyred? Yeah. Did I approve of you when you thought you were the greatest thing since Roman roads? Yeah. Yeah. Paul, did I forgive you when you called Peter and James fools, my beloved children? Yeah. Forgive, John Mark. Forgive as you have been forgiven, so you must forgive. Verse 14, and above all these things, put on what? Love. What's the first fruit of the Spirit? Now three things remain. Faith, hope, and the greatest of these is? And above all these, put on love. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. Now, you might be sitting there and saying to yourself, DJ, that's all well and good. But you are being highly speculative reading Acts 15 into this situation. And I'll take your challenge and I'll raise you a Colossians chapter 4. The very next verses. In Colossians chapter 4, the same letter, a few thoughts later, look at the bottom verse. He says, Aristarchus. My fellow prisoner greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. So who's Paul thinking about? Who's he in relationship with again? Paul, Mark. He's back, he's back with Mark. So who is he thinking about when he writes this? He's got Mark on his mind. When he's saying this, he has Mark on his mind. And the very next verse is, And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. Receive him. Look what Paul wrote in Philemon. Philemon only has one chapter. So verse 23 of Philemon, he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Mark is a fellow worker of Paul. Look what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 when Paul writes to his spiritual son Timothy. Luke alone is with me, but you get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Is that not beautiful? Is that not an incredible redemption? So even though there's, there's regret, even though this is a painful, deeply painful situation for Paul, man, does he learn from it. And he is a better, more full, more rounded, more humble and patient leader for having gone through this. But this isn't all. As Dr. Seuss says, that is not all. That is not all. Paul and Barnabas. 1 Corinthians 19. Paul didn't even make relationships with anyone in Corinth till his second missionary journey. So we know that the letter written to the Corinth was written much later than when this argument happened. He says, am I not free? He's writing to the church in Corinth. Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you have the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? That's Peter. Or is it only... Barnabas. This is much later. Is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends the flock without getting some of the milk? And so Paul is referring to the the ongoing apostolic ministry of Barnabas. And no, they're not together like they used to be. But yes, they are together together. One heart, one mind, working together in the kingdom of God. And Paul points to the example of Barnabas and calls him once again his brother, and apostle who does ministry in the same way. So, 2019, the whole point of walking through Acts um, was to learn how to discern and listen to the will of God today. Because God's still speaking, and he still has a will, and he still has a way. And so we need to constantly be learning and listening to the will of God. So what can we learn from this situation, looking at it through the lens of Colossians chapter 3? And I basically just broke down those last few verses. First of all, we are to bear with one another. Everybody say, bear with one another. another. The, The word that's translated as bear here, it means to bear or to endure. But I love this. One of its meanings is to sustain. Think about the implications of that. When you bear with someone, you're sustaining them in their walk with the Lord. You are giving sustenance to them. You, you are literally feeding them. You're giving them drink and food. So when you have a brother or sister who you have a disagreement with, and there's, there's conflict there, when you bear with them, and perhaps they're totally wrong, when you bear with them, you're actually helping sustain Their relationship with the Lord. I'm not saying agree with sin or agree with false teaching or anything like that. I'm saying bear, be patient, be kind. There's so much that is mystery that we claim that we know (laughs) that is mystery. Bear with one another. Secondly, if anyone has a complaint against another person, forgive each other. We can think of Paul thinking about his complaint with Mark. Man, that little punk totally deserted us at the very hour that we needed him. He's got a complaint, a legitimate complaint. But so you must forgive. You must forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Has God forgiven you 20%, 30%, 50%, 75%, or 100%? Man, I hope you say 100%. (laughs) so when you forgive do you forgive 20, 30, 40, 50, 70 or 100 100 and how often one time, two times, seven times seven times 70 times seven Jesus says as the Lord has forgiven you you must forgive fourthly above all put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony if there is anything else that is the first marker. If anything else comes to mind first about what your relationship is with God and with others, other than love, then there is an idol in your life. I I mean, this is serious. The first piece of clothing you put on in God is put on love. So if there is another trait that is more dominant than that, you are out of balance. And I'm out of balance. Above all, first fruit of the Spirit, love. Greatest of these is love. First of all, put on love. Above all these things, put on love. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And I love this. <laughs> Just a simple sentence. And be thankful. Man, we need to hear this in our culture, where enough is never enough. Enough. And big is never enough because it's got to be bigger. And loud is never enough because it's got to be louder. And salt is never salty enough because it's got to be saltier. Be thankful. Be thankful in all things. So since God has chosen us, we must forgive all who offend us. Mm, That's a hard word. Praise team, you can come back up. While the team is coming up and we're going to close our service in worship, I want to invite you just to uh, go into a moment of reflection. Is there a situation in your life where God is calling you to release offense and walk in forgiveness? And you don't have to like share that out loud or anything. Just in your heart, I want to invite you to pinpoint that situation or pinpoint that relationship or pinpoint what it is. And and just one note, forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. You can forgive someone without there being reconciliation. Because reconciliation requires both parties. Uh, And there are situations where realistically the other party is unwilling to move forward. So I'm not talking about reconciliation. I'm talking about forgiveness where you release the offense and you say, even if this thing is never made right between the two of us, God, I'm releasing my anger. I'm releasing my bitterness. I'm releasing my frustration. I'm releasing my offense towards this person and I'm placing it at the foot of the cross because you took all of my sin, all of my offense, all of my anger, all of the bitterness you could have had towards me and you took it upon yourself, not leaving one single thing in me that doesn't belong to you. And so, in the same way, we forgive. So, it, for just a moment, pinpoint a situation in your life and just release it to the Lord. God, you know the face, you know the name, you know the relationship, you know the exact person that has come to mind on each, each one of us. We give them to you and we say, they're a child of God that belongs to you. I am not God, you are God. And so uh, justice and righteousness and wrath and judgment, they all belong to you and you alone. So we give those things to you and we know that our job in this relationship is to walk in forgiveness and intercession for this brother or sister to be restored into right relationship with you, God, first and foremost, and then with us if you are willing and uh, if you choose to work in that way. So we give you these situations. We bless you. We love you. We receive from your word. We thank you for Paul and Barnabas. I was hard on him today, (laughs) but man, you use this man. And every one of us have been blessed because of Paul and because of uh, his walk with you. So I don't mean to disparage him. I just mean to look honestly at his life like we look honestly at ours we pray this in your precious name.